Would Raymond Williams have had his own podcast, an oral essay by Russell Todd? Sport is, of course, one of the very best things about television. I would keep my set for it alone. So wrote the great Welsh thinker and critic Raymond Williams in The Listener magazine in 1968. In particular, Williams was a huge football fan. One of his earliest known short stories is Parry R. Written in Williams' late teens, circa 1939, but not published for many decades thereafter, Parry R is a brief eponymous tale centred on a young, promising centre-forward, Reg Parry, for the fictional Bryn Arrow FC of the North Monmouthshire League. Like Williams's more famous and heralded 1960 novel, Border Country, which drew semi-autobiographically on Williams's upbringing in Pandy near Abergavenny, Parry R blurs the lines between fiction and non-fiction. Themes that are later prominent in Border Country crop up in microform in Parry R. Class, inevitably for Williams, is chief among them. In Border Country, a schism emerges between erstwhile colleagues, Harry Price and Morgan Rosser, largely caused by the latter's growing entrepreneurialism and the suspicion among Price and others in the village that this is not only a class betrayal, but heralds a growing urbanism on the part of Rosser, who spends increasingly more time in the nearby fictional town of Gwenton, a betrayal of village life as well as of class solidarity. Mr Stanton, Benaro's manager and trainer, has his prejudices too. Though it's not clear whether he had these before he took up residence in Brunaro a couple of years earlier, or whether they seeped into him as he ingratiated himself into a miscellany of local roles. Treasurer of the village's united choir, groundsman of its bowls and tennis clubs, church gravedigger, and of course with a local football club. But when the mysterious urbane football scout Mr Hargreaves arrives in the village to survey Parry's talents, Mr Stanton scolds his intention to offer the young man a trial with Cardiff City. Professionalism is the curse of sport. It is a corruption of our youth. I shall warn Parry against your offer. Mr Stanton's counsel falls on deaf ears, however, and Parry accepts the invitation. And although he turns pro, his professional career ultimately amounts to little, with the suspicion that the corrupting influence of Cardiff might be to blame, despite the advantage of a fine start that Brunaro afforded the young Reg. It is all rather a shame, Williams concludes, for the boy might have done well and reflected well on his village. So what does fictional Welsh village football in the 1930s have to do with podcasts, deliberative community media, and the role of reflection in pedagogy? For me, the reflexivity of much of Williams's fiction, of how village life shapes and is shaped by its local characters, both those resident and transient like Mr Stanton, who leaves Brunaru soon after young Reg does, parallels Williams's later writings on adult education. Foreshadowing Paolo Freire's seminal 1968 text, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, Williams argued that the educational process is a two-way one. The adult instructor has much to learn about themselves and their discipline from their students. For Williams, adult education provides the crucible for a meeting of equals to partake in democratic learning, whereby people can cultivate critical skills through discourse with people with whom they would not normally interact. For example, a labourer and a doctor. This, what I call interaction of difference, is a founding principle in Robert Putnam's theory of social capital, particularly the bridging as opposed to bonding form of social capital that is critical, Putnam says, for building trust in society. Though Williams rejected a narrow, crass conception of education as the means of material advancement and the creation of a newly mobile and varied elite, he was not a Luddite in his views on technology. He felt that television and broadcasting had benefited adult education and, at worst, has not harmed it. Interestingly, this is in contrast to Putnam, who considered television to be the chief cause of declining social capital in the USA. Williams wrote extensively about communication, a prominent theme of which was the ownership and control of the means of communication, a variation on the means of production. One that had arguably been ceded to rapidly monopolising partisan and, in Williams's words, anti-educational interests by the time Putnam was forming his social capital theories in the 1990s. 
If he were around today, would Raymond Williams have had his own podcast? Well, my hunch is that he would have embraced the media warmly. Given his passion for the round ball, Williams might even have listened to Podcast Peldroid, the first podcast dedicated to the Wales football team, which I founded in 2014, Peldroid being Welsh for football. I'm certain that Williams would have welcomed the democratising impact of easily and cheaply recording speech, editing it on free software such as Audacity and sharing it via the internet. And though it would be overly simplistic to claim that the proliferation of podcasts in recent months is proof of a reclaiming of the means of communication, their DIY nature does carve out at least a degree of autonomy. Williams could well and wittingly have had podcasts in mind when he talked of assorted forms of regionally based media with a public education remit and impact complementing traditional mass media channels, even if, indeed while, the latter were being co-opted by singular partisan interests. Furthermore, podcasts hang about for longer than social media posts do, providing limited scope for the generation of what the Brazilian André Labato calls a new, cohesive, community-unified environment that progressive social movements, Labato believes, must harness in order to move beyond performative occupations, demonstrations and protests. Podcasts as a media by and for a proletariat? I'm confident too that Raymond Williams would have welcomed what my friend Rob Watson has recently written about community media as a platform for deliberative democracy. Rob notes that the recent prioritisation of national media for UK government support during the COVID-19 pandemic over local and independent forms of media further drives down UK media pluralism. But moreover, this diminishing pluralism risks overlooking the crucial role in deliberation, something community media does well, in bolstering local discourse, debate and ultimately democracy. Thanks to Rob, I have belatedly come to appreciate that podcasts are a part of this rich seam of media. It all too often lies unseen or ignored by what he calls the convenience media, That which is easy to find, simplistic and soundbite-ridden, sometimes elitist and patronising of its audience, and always obsessed with listening or viewing figures. In addition to Podcast Peldroid, I've also founded the Community Development Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing the learning, connecting the workforce and demonstrating the benefits of community development approaches. And thanks to enforced lockdown, my productivity in podcast production and participation has peaked. Still ringing in my ears is Rob's insistence that my podcasts are a form of deliberative community media, And it's prompted me during lockdown to begin to conceptualise this in a bit more depth. Raymond Williams aspired for adult education to be more than a means of learning and the acquisition of knowledge, but a form of public pedagogy. And in this vein, my podcasts offer me a means to continue learning about aspects of community development that are new to me. For instance, in a recent episode, I spoke with a practitioner based in Manitoba in Canada, who spoke about colonialism and the impact of it on Indigenous First Nation Canadian communities. I've never used that particular C word in my career in Wales at all. Colonialism, not Canadian, by the way. Through my podcasts, my learning is put out there for all to see, to challenge, perhaps to emulate. A core principle of community development is to tackle inequality and to redistribute power. I am under no pretensions that I am the expert on community development, though I have expertise. But as podcast founder and host, the person that presses record, edits the final version, lets the episode out into the wild. Does that not create an imbalance of power between me, the guests, listeners? Perhaps it does without me realising or intending. But when I chatted to Michael in Manitoba and he spoke of community development as a tool to repair the impact of colonialism, and he paid tribute to, among others, the Cree Ojibwe Dakota and Oji Cree First Nations communities, it served to hold a mirror up to my white Britishness. I am reminded of that reciprocal process to which Williams referred, of the instructor learning from the pupil, or maybe just the podcast host learning from his guest. Contributors have said to me that they have found the experience of talking about their experiences to be a self-reflective process. If not immediately, then certainly in the days after the recording. How often do we as practitioners in whatever field we work talk about why we do something? 
Sure, we talk about what we do, but I'm not sure we talk enough about what it means or what the underlying values are. Podcasts are immersive conversations for this, but by intending to send them out into the internet, we're conscious of the third wall, the other side of which is an audience, a listenership, maybe only ever a single listener. It doesn't matter. To most podcasters, like most community radio stations, the immersive and critically reflective process of discussion is more valuable than the knowledge that X thousand people are listening. If the discussion matters to even one listener, makes them reflect, holds a mirror up to themselves and their experience, their practice, their values, then it's a bonus to the podcaster and his guests claiming of Williams's means of communication. The COVID-19 lockdown has given me time and more importantly, the headspace to reflect on what it is that happens during podcasts whether they're about the Wales football team or social prescribing or post-colonial community development practice. My gut feeling is that a form of open pedagogy has taken place, but increasingly I'm of the opinion that it is not an open pedagogy, but several open pedagogies, my own, the guest or guests, and among the audience. We say in community development that it is a process where people come together to take action on what's important to them, an underlying principle being that that action is taken collectively. On the surface, recordings usually involve a small number of people, often as few as two or three. But the audience and listeners, maybe only the one listener, are also part of the planning. What might they need to understand? What terms might they need explaining? What further learning might they want to do? So even in the simplest one-to-one discussions, maybe the pedagogy that occurs is more collective than is often or hitherto been apparent. But beyond the collective, in a sense of mere numbers, producing podcasts has helped me to find what Father Greg Boyle, founder of the social enterprise for ex-GAM members in the US, Homeboy Industries, calls kinship. Finding, meeting, connecting with like-minded people and a shared sense of belonging. Though the lockdown has enforced physical distancing, through podcasting it hasn't, despite the phrase's widespread use, enforced on me social distancing. Similarly, I'm increasingly of the belief that the lockdown and its prevention of people inhabiting and learning in their usual environment, be that the workplace, formal educational institutions, or in people's local social infrastructure, is serving to mould numerous public pedagogies which, though immeasurably useful in their own right, be they for deliberation, helping communities to organise, to meet essential basic needs during the pandemic, to mobilise radical, progressive action, or whatever, that they are a worthy memorial to and celebration of Raymond Williams as we approach in 2021 the centenary of his birth.